Hello, I'm Ben Harmon, the Director of Stills, a centre for photography based in Edinburgh and a registered charity. You're listening to a series of conversations with artists and photographers that we are in touch with to discuss and share their ideas during the time of the coronavirus lockdown. To learn more about Stills and to get involved or to support our work, please visit stills.org. Thanks for listening to Photography Down the Line. Hello, am I speaking to Brittany Fletcher? Yep, hi. <laughs> hi, Brittany. Good to, good to speak to you. Really good to have you on here. First of all, um, where are you and what might I be interrupting? Um, I'm, I'm in my flat in Edinburgh. Um, uh, oops, dropping a pencil. <laughs> what I, well, I, uh, normally I would be doing something different, but I actually just got a new bicycle today. So the only thing you're interrupting is my like anticipation of actually taking it out on a test ride. Oh, wow. Is um, it pretty exciting it for today. <laughs> a new second hand or, or brand new? No, 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 second hand. Definitely second hand. <laughs> And um, yes, well, I mean, one reason why it's so good to speak to you is because I know you as a as a tutor at Stills and, and obviously you're a photographer, you're an educator, you're a curator as well. I think we'll, I'd like to come on to that and ask you about the festival that you, you organize. Um, but this, the last few months must have been a really difficult time for you because you are, you, you are a freelancer and I suspect you've been quite... Um, quite badly affected by everything that's happened and things have really shut down for you. Could you say a bit about what's been cancelled or postponed for you? Yeah, um, <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'm only laughing about it because, um, you know, everyone, literally everyone's in, you know, like they're saying, we're all in this together kind of thing. Um, I, man, I keep dropping everything today. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, I had a lot of workshops that were planned. Um, I didn't even get to finish the last um, full workshop at Stills. Like we still had one last class. I was teaching like a um, alternative darkroom class that was um, lift printing, chromoscedasic sabatier, and chemograms, and we didn't get to the last class, which is like really unfortunate. Um, they were making some really cool stuff, and then I had some other, um, I had a course that I was actually going to fly out to New York about two days before my flight was due was when all the flights were canceled, but I was going to be teaching a more massage class in New York. Mm -hmm. So that was disappointing. And then, you know, uh, what else? I mean, like, it just feels like a lifetime ago. Um, yeah, it does. You, you could have been stuck in New York then. I mean, potentially. Yeah. I mean, my mom's in Queens, so it wouldn't have been the end of the world. <laughs> and I've got like a pretty solid like group of friends from all over the East Coast, but also it would have been, you know, my plants wouldn't be very happy if I was stuck over there. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah there, there was like the RSA open that I was in, um, which they did like an amazing job managing to like actually transfer that to an online exhibition, which I think yes. went really, really well. Uh, it certainly did for me. I got a lot of um, nice feedback from people on that. Um, yeah. 
and like I had a couple commissions. There was one um, actually that still hooked me up with through Fruit Market to do collodion portraits, which was again about a week before lockdown happened and that got canceled. And I had a solo show that was coming up that's kind of up in the air. And you mentioned the festival that, um, that I've been curating sort of like once every five years and that's totally been put on hold. So. Mm. The positives are just that, like, everything's kind of managed to find an online way yeah. to make stuff work. Um, the freelancing thing is is terrifying at the best of times. <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of prepared for, like, the worst case scenarios. Um, that's kind of, like, what my whole art thing is about anyway. I'm kind of, like, from a punk rock DIY, I don't have any money or access to stuff background. So I just kind of figure out how to make stuff work which is also probably where all of my interest in like handmade stuff comes from in photography yeah and for those that aren't that familiar with you the what what we call alternative processes is your area of specialism for want of a better way of putting it um and it's really astonishing the range of kind of techniques and it's almost a different language um Maud, Morden Sarge, daguerreotype, becquerel, um cyanotype, palladium, platinum printing um how did you how, how did you kind of start getting interested in some of these um these sort of older more sort of hands-on um photographic processes? <laughs> That's actually really random um I was uh, trying to figure out what kind of path I wanted in creative arts and constantly trying different things. Um, and I was down in North Carolina for three months thinking I was learning how to become a blacksmith. Um, <laughs> which I'm really good at making nails and I can do a lot of welding, which isn't blacksmithing at all, but apart from making pointy things, I'm a terrible blacksmith, it turns out. <laughs> um, but while I was there, there was an artist who was teaching photography and um, I saw their like sort of, they had this like thing that looked kind of like an army bunker and then there were just all these like clotheslines and I would like, kind of look around and see blue prints and brown prints and like these different colored things hanging on clotheslines like sort of shrouded by these like weird tent bunkery looking things so I kind of like if you can imagine a cat in a space they're not supposed to be in like kind of sniffing around like what's going on here like am I going to get in trouble for like creeping in here and then he ended up doing like an art an informal artist talk in the uh in the dining hall um, within the first couple of weeks and I saw his work and just kind of like was blown away mm. um, by the work he was doing and um, and like I had just also recently been introduced to it like my best friend had given me Sally Mann's What Remains book for my birthday and I had just seen Adam Fusett Fuss, I always say his name wrong, Adam Fuss had an exhibition at the MFA in Boston and I saw some of his work and it, this, all these things just happened in like the same six months and my brain just kind of was like, I need to do what these people do. This is amazing. I mean, I'll never be as good as any of them because they're kind of like my heroes, but um, you know, yeah, I just saw what they were doing and 
realized I needed to learn what they were doing. It also conveniently turns out that I just happened to be really into organic chemistry, which I didn't know until after kind of geeking out a lot on historic photographic process and analog stuff. And I just think that stuff's magic. So um, I, I keep wanting to learn more and more and more about it all the time. And then also just kind of like share that with anyone who's willing to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Which you do, which you do uh, with, with, with passion and excitement. Um, and how does, what about digital photography and digital media? How, how do you feel about all that? Is it, is it too easy for you? Is it, is it um, too, are the processes that are digital too sort of clinical for you? Um, yeah, I mean, yes and no. I, I'm not a purist in any way, shape or form. Like I definitely think that whatever tools are accessible to you is like what you should use. Like if it's appropriate for whatever you're trying to express. And also I think that it's worth considering why you're using the tools that you're using, particularly when you make these choices in photography, um, like, or when you make like handmade choices in photography, it's like, okay, are you, does it need to be blue? Does it need to be handmade? Does it need to have this thing? Does it have to be completely analog? Um, so I'm not opposed to that. I'm kind of always just like, my students, if any of them end up listening to this, they'll end up laughing because I always say, there's no cheating in photography, there's just lying. Like, <laughs> you can use anything that's available to you. Um, as long as you're honest about how it was made. I hate when people are like, oh yeah, this is like completely analog. And then you're like, no, but like, you know, it's fine. I, I use digital negatives. I also use large format negatives. And then I use everything in between. Um, I sort of find digital is a helpful tool to achieve my end aim. Yeah. Um, but my end aim is usually back in an analog process. And I think part of that is like I studied sculpture as well as photography in undergrad. So I have a dual major. Um, and I think a lot about how materiality affects the reading of work. Yeah. And like the choices that we make in that materiality, like why do we choose to make this this way? And that plays a lot into like the things that I make. So I'm hoping that some people will look at it and then sort of read into it a little bit more and maybe get an additional layer or of understanding. Even if it's not what I was thinking, they might kind of be like, huh, and get something else out of it. Yeah. Um, and then there's also just that part where it's magic <laughs> like everybody just has something that they just really like doing and I like I love playing with chemistry yeah some of the some of the things you said there made me think about uh, something that is, I think is important to for people to for us to ask ourselves when we're looking at contemporary art in general is is not so much you know what is this thing this object about what is the artist trying to say but but more about you know why what why is it here what you know how 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 has it been made what's the the, the broader context within which yeah. it's been made so more sort of why than 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 what um and i mean uh, there's also like yeah. oh sorry go ahead <laughs> oh, you, you go ahead sorry i was just gonna say like i think it's easy though to also get caught up in process like i know when i started getting into learning this stuff I would get caught up in process. And I think I have a lot of students and a lot of um, peers and colleagues and 
and people that I hold up on a pedestal of, of masters that at different times have probably been caught in the process loop. And I think that that's something that should be, you know, talked about and like kind of people should be mindful of is that like, it's not, it shouldn't be just like about the how, like if it's cool and like you get something from it, it doesn't really matter how it was made. Like, unless, so I've, I've just contradicted myself, I realized, but there's kind of like those two different sides to that coin that I think about a lot. I overthink everything though, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean. And um, I'm thinking of a series of yours, Salting the Earth, where you sort of combine this interest in process, technique, with a, um, you know, a, um, a kind of particular kind of issue and context that you're trying to raise awareness of. Yeah. Say a little bit about that. that yeah, um, that, that project is um, a bunch of salt prints that I made, um, which were included in a technical book. Um, where is it? I've got a copy of it somewhere. Uh, the book is uh, Contemporary Salt Prints, highlighting contemporary artists and their practice and also a, a little bit of an instructional manual um and it's published by Fopal which is a, there's a great series of her books she's an excellent editor and an excellent artist um I'm really honored to be included there's some amazing artists and they're actually the one that I was talking about from North Carolina that got me into this is also in that book I'm not going to say his name because I'm too much of a fangirl <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah the I was trying to think of something for the book that would highlight the process, but not just making a pretty picture. Mm. I mean, I, I love making beautiful images and sometimes I just want to take beautiful things and make them and make beautiful prints and not really have too much more. But um, I, I just wanted to think about what the importance of salt was and sort of like the history of salt. And salt is such a like basic common thing, but it's also something that's got a lot of really interesting history to it. A friend of mine just introduced me to the term hyper object, which is kind of like this all encompassing subject that you could study from like a bunch of different angles. And I was thinking about the politics behind salt. Mm. Um, and then I also connected it to another thing that I'm sort of weirdly passionate about, um, which is archeology. span <laughs> um, I was a research assistant for one of my professors at MassArt who his specialism was like ancient art of Iraq and Syria. Um, so learning a bunch of Sumerian and Akkadian stuff. And uh, he worked with the Ministry of Iraq, um, the Ministry of Culture in Iraq to help preserve artifacts and like recover a bunch of the items that were looted when the Iraq Museum was bombed. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, world heritage is incredibly important regardless of what part of the world it's in. And I, uh, I do have a pretty strong political leaning in a lot of my life. I can't really get away from it. Um, and it's, you know, I, uh, just apart from my strongly opposing war, um, there's also other things that we don't think about, like how our actions can destroy things that we've had for millennia. Yeah. Uh, that's like the cradle of civilization right there, at least that's what we call it. 
obviously there's other ancient places that are really important too, but um, through our actions, we completely destroy these things, not just for ourselves, but for our future. And we're destroying the earth at the same time. So it's, it's political, it's, it's cultural, it's, it's environmental. And um, I wanted to highlight that. So, and this is the thing I don't normally do. I used appropriated images for it. Um, I went onto US government sites and took images off their sites because they're not under copyright. <laughs> and yeah. also I don't have a problem stealing from the US government. <laughs> and um, then I printed them as photocopied negatives and used extra virgin olive oil to make those negatives transparent, thinking that perhaps that would also add a little bit of a, a reading given the, the subject matter. Um, and then printed them in salt and toned them with gold. Um, and they're not always technically brilliant prints, but that's kind of part of it. They're kind of messy. I didn't use a barrier to keep the oils negative away from the print. So the oil's actually kind of infringing upon the quality of the image as well as the poor quality of the, the negative. And sometimes they were quite pixelated images. Like one of them is very abstract and that's a, a document that was mostly redacted from the US government website. Um, which ends up looking sort of like an exploding blob, but um, that's actually my favorite one from that series. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big deal to me. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's such an interesting project because conceptually there are sort of layers upon layers. It's really, yeah, re really, really interesting and I should I should say that your your website brittanyfletcher.com you've got some images up there of that series um, yeah. and I also love the way you can you know uh, we were a bit like we were talking a minute ago you 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 don't um, you don't completely reject uh, digital photography or anything like that if anything you 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 use it I think you said um, as a sort of tool um, uh, in combination with some of these other processes to to kind of experiment even more which makes the work you know even more interesting i think um i was i was also looking at your wet plate um images from sandy bells um, <laughs> 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 the road over, yeah and which i'm sure is currently all locked up and completely closed um i know and, and you made you made that it's a series of portraits I think you made kind of in between shifts and you made entirely at Sandy Bells is that right yeah yeah um that was actually my my graduate work for um MFA um I you know I'm, I'm not from a particularly well-off background so I found myself over here and very quickly going oh no I need a job right now <laughs> and thankfully they took pity on me and hired me I, uh, I've got great bar banter I'm not sure I'm a great bartender though <laughs> but um yeah, I worked there all through my degree and a little while afterwards and I did absolutely love it um and a lot of I think I think the magical thing about working in that particular pub is the rich culture there. I mean, pub culture is such a unique thing to the UK. Um, and I mean, I'm sure everyone can tell from my accent, I'm not actually native, 
Um, so like just getting involved in pub culture and it's not just being in a bar and drinking. It's so much more than that. And Sandy Bells is like almost like the pinnacle of like what I think like pub culture is and pub culture is like, it's for the people to get together and Sandy Bell's being a folk pub, like what is folk if it's not for the people? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not from a background that knows a lot about folk music. I may have mentioned before, I'm kind of more punk rock and stuff like that, but I completely appreciate the sentiment behind it. And like, there's, there's musicians in there, there's poets in there, there's political like legends in there. Um, not just like from before, like Norman McCaig used to drink in there and I didn't know about Norman McCaig's poetry at all until this very impassioned, slightly inebriated, and I'm being a little generous there, man told me I had to read this poem and he just wouldn't leave the bar until I read the poem <laughs> and it was well beyond closing time. And you know what? Like I love Norman McCaig's poetry. I also really love a lot of the folk music in there. There's such an amazing group of musicians that come through and just the regular ones that perform there. Um, literally all of the bar staff come from all over the place, some from Scotland, some not. Um, um, they all have amazing talents and skills outside of bartending. It's just like, it's amazing cultural place. And also where I actually started meeting people from Scotland and Edinburgh, because as a foreigner moving to here, and in, in your program and your degree program, you kind of get a little insular. And then, you know, when you're working in a dark room, that doesn't help. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, you know, I had wanted to do a project with daguerreotypes initially, and this was me getting stuck in the process that I sort of admitted to before, but I didn't really have like a plan for that. And, uh, and the chemistry was a little bit more challenging. So, um, I had been gathering stuff for Collodion. It was on my list of things I wanted to learn. And so like while I was learning about Edinburgh and Scotland and learning how to be a bartender, learning about whiskey and like craft ale and like learning about folk music. And at the same time, I'm seeing people who are joining sessions. Some of them are, are award-winning legends and some of them are brand new who just got brave enough to come join a session and so I realized that my experience was kind of relative to all of the other people there like mm. there were the regulars but like everyone was kind of learning and like there was a, always this like knowledge exchange so I felt like my sort of learning and stumbling through the collodion process uh which you know it, like that process works really well for doing portraits of people because, you know, when we look at it, we think of like sort of, I don't want to say ethnography because that has some negative connotations, but you know, taking pictures of people from like civil war era, like there's like kind of groups of stuff and, and it's sort of more socially oriented in our minds. So that felt like a really important thing. Also like my manager and the bar owner from Sandy Bells were just so incredibly supportive that they let me build a dark room right beside the cast, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, and like, you know, I mean, we all made sure everything was to order, but you know, sometimes the, some of the regulars would be like, oh, Brittany's, Brittany's downstairs working today because <laughs> papers of ether would drift up through the floorboards. <laughs> um and yeah i mean sandy bells is an amazing place and i 
I'm really sad that it's closed right now. And I know a lot of people are really sad. It was a very, it, it is a very important aspect of the community. And, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't really say enough good stuff about it. Yeah. Hopefully it'll survive this. I'm hoping every small business will survive yeah. the pandemic. And you really, you really seem to thrive um, on or, or being part of these these kinds of communities, cultural communities. I suppose I'm thinking of of stills as well. That you 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 seem more comfortable um, working in these kinds of communities um, than you would say. You don't strike. What I'm trying to say is, you don't strike me as someone who's out there. Um, promoting your work, trying to find a gallery to represent you so that you can launch an international career. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Um, but you, you, you seem to really love these, these communities and, and in turn you, you seem to give an awful lot back to them as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I, um, I mean, part of that is that I'm just absolutely terrible at self-promotion. Like I'm much better and much more comfortable promoting other people, um, which I think is where my curatorial interest comes in because that's half promoting other people and half wanting to teach. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like, I mean, I have a pretty strong desire to feel connected and be a part of things and um, not to sound glum, but I don't think I feel like I'm connected all the time. Like, I, I think a lot of photographers probably feel that way, like a little bit apart because, you know, we are behind the lens. We do kind of set ourselves apart. Um, but I also try to use that as like a tool to kind of help me. Like I've got social anxiety and it, probably nobody would really assume that because I seem very bubbly and outgoing, which is kind of one of those things that people do when they're kind of trying to cover for it but it's like yeah it's just like a way for me to engage um yeah. and get involved and like people are so interesting and even if i'm not photographing people but just subjects like humanity and what we do and what we're capable of is is so interesting you know yeah and you must be used to um relative isolation and like you mentioned already spending a lot of time in the dark room and do you, um, what kind of setup do you have at home? Do you have, I imagine during lockdown, you've, your, your, your chemicals have been taking over. In, in oh, the, God. In <laughs> my, my flat's gone into like rotations of like me hyper organizing and cleaning everything in between like everything else that I'm trying to do. And then just being like completely covered in weird stuff. Like um, my setup at home, I, I think, like right before lockdown happened, I was like, I made a joke on Instagram posting a photo of like my little darkroom setup. I've gotten in larger and I've got a UV light box and I've got 16,000 shelves of chemistry, um, which I'm probably on several lists in several countries now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've just always like, I've needed to be like very self-reliant, not because there aren't always good places to work, but I also, because I'm a huge, like, I think we've talked about the night person thing. Mm. Um, I, 
I have insomnia. So sometimes like if I can't do anything, like I can't do anything about sleeping, I need to work. And that means like working at like four o'clock in the morning and most places are not open at that time. So doing things like making it so that I can do things, um, <laughs> at the weird times when I'm able to. And there's also parts of me that are just like, once I get going on a project, like I don't really want to stop. And the only thing that can make me stop working is being told I have to go. So yeah, I've just got like a ton of stuff. Um, and some of it's made like my light box. I sort of like built like cobbled together using Edinburgh Hack Lab, which is a really awesome resource for people if anyone wants to learn how to build stuff. I think they're over in Summer Hall, and I'm pretty sure they're still active right now, but people should check that place out. There's lots of great maker spaces though, so if you want to like do soldering and like weird little helpful projects and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've got I hoard stuff too. I'm trying not to be that person, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, one of the things I wanted to ask you was about um, kind of recommendations for things. But, but first I wanted to ask, um, and I, I, love, I love what I heard someone say about insomnia, keeping the night company. Um, oh, that's really nice. Is, is that a creative time for you or is it difficult? Are there things that you just, you can't do at that, at that time? Uh, it's it's really it depends on um, what I have to do the next day it can be really stressful if I'm supposed to be doing something the next day like work related that can be a really stressful thing for me because then I'm sort of trying to pressure myself to be asleep so I can be fresh for wh whatever meeting or teaching or or whatever work I have um, which can kind of exacerbate the problem but um, yeah, if I, if I don't actually have anything the next day, then I'm kind of like, okay, cool. Like, let's just get to it. Like, <laughs> do I read a book? Do I put on an audio book? Do I start printing? Um, and then also I've got like notebooks everywhere. There's bits of paper with chaos notes written everywhere. So. <laughs> do you have any, do you have any sort of printing or darkroom habits, like listening to a particular kind of music or a particular radio station or anything like that? I do actually um it depends on that this is weird um like when i print morton stage i only listen to edith piaf <laughs> that sounds super weird and lame but that's a thing that i do um when i process film i've got a playlist for processing film that is mostly like some of my favorite punk rock from my teenage years but it's also perfectly timed for the developer through to fix so i just know what when a certain song finishes that right. that's time for me to dump my stuff yeah. uh, but sometimes i also just like quiet which i think is changing as i'm getting older i'm appreciating quiet more mm. uh, really know what that is but that's that's also a real thing um and then i i go through different musicians that like i kind of like fixate on so like pretty much all of last year all i wanted to listen to was that here lies the body album by aiden moffat and rm hubbard which like i just that was literally the only thing i listened to for ages <laughs> so i think that stuff like kind of goes on rotation right now i'm listening to fisher spooner on repeat so right right <laughs> yeah got an eclectic music taste I suppose. yeah yeah 
yeah and and that nicely leads on to the question i was going to ask about kind of recommendations of um you know books and music and so on things that you might have been listening to over the last few months um perhaps things that you've returned to after a period of time mm. um and I'll, and if you mention them i'll make sure we list them in the episode notes for this for this podcast as well um yeah i Book-wise, I've been given a lot of really good book recommendations and like audiobook recommendations. Um, one thing that's totally unrelated about an audiobook that is a novel I just finished that I really recommend is Eleanor Oliphant okay. is totally okay. And I'm going to forget the name of the author, but somebody told, suggested that I read it, but I decided to listen to it because it's multitasking. Mm. Um, and it's it's a... It's a really, really interesting story that's quite touching, um, but it's about somebody's personal development, mm -hmm. and I'll leave it there. But that was uh, that was a novel that I've just finished listening to that was really good. Um, but I've been getting like I'm reading this book about lichen right now, <laughs> um, which was in part because I wanted to get a little more information on. Um, historic dyeing techniques because I've been teaching a lot of historic photography like anthotypes and stuff which you know I, I did one of those workshops for stills during the science festival but um, lichen is quite an interesting element um, it's like half fungus half algae but this book um, that talks about lichen dyes uh, actually goes into a lot more interesting stuff including like sort of studying it like the code of ethics and like sort of weird socio-political things to consider while discussing lichen and then it talks about lichen from different parts of the, the world yeah maybe all these books are going to sound really lame and geeky i'm just warning you <laughs> is, um, it, is it a particular a particular book or a particular author or yeah it's lichen dies it's quite a small book it's very short like mm -hmm. i'm a slow reader so probably most people could get through it in an hour or two but i've just kind of been like dipping in and out of it Lichen Dies, the new source book, and it's by Karen Castleman. Yeah. But, you know, the history of dyeing, and, and I've been sort of looking at that, and uh, the, the in dye industry is quite an interesting thing, and I've been looking at that mm -hmm. from like a, a Scottish perspective with like Scotland textiles, you know, there's tweed weaving and paisley, and, and like the politics behind dyes is really interesting, like, learning about turkey red or Tyrian purple, which, you know, I'll leave you guys to, to check that out. But yeah, yeah, I suppose, I suppose like salt, there's, there's bound to be a fascinating kind of cultural, social, political history behind, behind dyes. Totally. Yeah. And environmental and like what, what it is to use something natural, but is that just because it's natural doesn't mean it's sustainable. And just because mm. it's sustainable yeah. and natural doesn't mean it's cruelty free. Um, like cochineal, <laughs> which is an insect that they crush up and turn into color. Yeah, of course, yeah. Which is really, it's, it's an interesting realm to like geek out about. And I'm kind of like, I need like 16 different things going on at once. Um, <laughs> I've also got my friend Morgan, um, Morgan Post, who's an awesome photographer and he's also an educator. He recommended a couple books to me, which I just got recently. Um, 
the science and practice of photography, an elementary textbook on the scientific theory and a laboratory manual by John R. Roebuck. Right. Yeah. As well as Photography with Emulsions, which is an Elibrian classics. Um, and then I don't know if you I don't know if you know Lachlan. Um, Lachlan is uh, he works over at street level, but he's been sending me some really, really awesome manuals on like tri-color separations for um for um dye sublimation and stuff i'm using it i'm using that information for something totally different but he's been sending me some really great resources which is awesome mm. and then oh what are these other books there's one called hyper objects which sounds really interesting um wait hang on i even pulled up the link so i could actually like tell you what it was because I just got it and I need to buy it. Hyperobjects, the philosophy and ecology after the end of the world, which sounds a bit dark, but it's kind of about studying. It's about studying a hyperobject is, is a subject that's so big that you can study it from so many different angles. And I've been like kind of looking into more um, books and like the way that contemporary authors are, are studying subjects from like, like uh, Rob McFarland's Underland. Uh -huh. yeah. um, where it's like he takes this but then he's studying it from like the past the present like the social aspects and all this stuff and so that's a really interesting way for me to think about how to look at art making and translate like the way that people are studying these, these topics into a more holistic kind of way which is really interesting yeah. that's a fascinating book underland really yeah yeah, incredible. And he and Robert McFarlane's come up in his name's come up in several episodes of the podcast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he's kind of like kicking some, you know, writing butt at the moment. <laughs> um, I'll just throw out two other books that I would recommend, which sound really interesting and kind of go back to the like in um, this book, Slime, How Algae Created Us, Played Us and Just Might Save Us. <laughs> which might be a little topical right now, but also it's called slime, so that's good. That can't be wrong. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's brilliant. Thanks, Brittany. They sound, they sound so good. Um, we're running out of time a little bit, but I wanted to ask you um, or, or mention that you're, um, you joined the Artist Support Pledge. Is that still going on, and can, can people still support you in that way? Um, yeah, I, I'm really bad at that whole social promotion, like my, my own, like buy my stuff. <laughs> so I, I tried doing it sort of like, sort of more in an organized way at the beginning. And then I sort of fizzled out with doing it a little bit, but, um, I am trying to keep stuff up. I do still have some things on the hashtag and I'll probably be adding more stuff to it. In addition to that, I'm like trying to get a Patreon together, which is like, yeah. oh gosh. Um, so there's that. Um, I did, I was, I was, ha I was happy to include a, a print in the, um, in the studies in mind thing. Yes. Organized by Rebecca Milling, which is not benefiting me, but it's benefiting people with mental health needs. Um, and particularly those like struck during COVID and, 
I mean, I feel like we can all probably relate to that. So, I mean, there's some really cool stuff on there, like that Gary Fabian Miller print I've had my eye on for a while. So, <laughs> yeah, that's certainly a, a brilliant sale. And I think actually the date, I think it closes quite soon. The, um, yeah, through Studies in Photography and the Scottish Society for the History of Photography. Um, mm. Range of amazing prints for fifty pounds. I think they are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, which is really affordable. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I'm like, I I'm not doing so much of the self promotion. I am a little bit at doing that hashtag thing. Um, I do need to start trying to put like a shop on my website. I've been doing like a little bit of teaching, like, um, but you know. <laughs> I need to hire someone to promote me. <laughs> <laughs> is the have had you been doing online teaching before the lockdown and and Oh is, no. That no, so, so it's quite a new thing for you. Curve. That that was very new for me. Um, yeah, like I I've been now I'm doing like private stuff and then some stuff through like Edinburgh Lo-Fi which is my my awesome like nerd family um of art photo people which should also be checked out um and then i've been really fortunate to also be teaching through penumbra foundation which is the center for alternative photography in new york city um which is pretty awesome so like yeah but it's all analog so i've been teaching like very 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 hardline analog stuff like teaching people how to build their own cameras and simple lenses or build like, you know, kind of MacGyver stuff, taking like a cardboard box and turning it into an enlarger. And then like being like, okay, what do you have in your kitchen? All right, you've got some mint, you've got a lemon and some laundry detergent. Let's make some developer. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of thrive in that. Like I just recently had a one-on-one -on -one and the lady didn't have any of the stuff I suggested she get. And we literally just like went, like I told her to go to the garden, grab her mint and we juiced a lemon and actually like just was kind of like, all right, so this should be in these proportions. And we just kind of worked it out. But in the same time as it's kind of like carefree and loose, it's also like, here, I'll tell you why this works. Like here's a super additive and this is the developing agent and that's an accelerant. And these things work because of the balance between pH and acidity. And, this is me geeking about organic chemistry and physics, which I love, but yeah, hopefully yeah. making it so people feel more like it's accessible and more empowered. And one of the cool things about this whole lockdown, I just constantly am trying to look at the positive sides is like, we're not used to teaching online and these things aren't really necessarily available for a lot of people for a variety of reasons. And a lot of the feedback that I've had is that there's people who can't necessarily afford to travel to sure. take some of these classes or can't afford like a, a, a real enlarger or they can't actually leave their home. So there's all these different things that are kind of like enabling and empowering people in ways. And it's not just about photography. It's like way beyond that. There's all these like initiatives that are trying to like help like elderly people who don't have anyone coming to visit them and trying to like make people feel more connected and I think that that I hope that a lot of the good things that are happening during COVID to kind of help everyone survive we managed to keep them going afterwards. Sure I completely agree with you and yeah we have to focus on the positives and 
as has been said so so much recently everything's kind of shifted on kind of 20 years in the space of a few months um yeah but that but like you say that does mean that people are maybe slightly better connected to things they weren't connected to before and um there are there are lots of positives to take from it um, yeah yeah i mean well, yeah. <laughs> no, please please carry on i was just gonna say like i know it's 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 been really hard for like everybody i, I mean especially i would say probably like at the beginning i think like like who even knows like you know we don't have any experience with a pandemic but i think that really like a lot of people are doing a lot of amazing things i do worry for a lot of people and a lot of like small businesses and like i mean people who are living in countries that don't have as many good things as we do like yeah. all my friends in america don't have free health care you know i worry about that <laughs> but um yeah, the good stuff is that like we're, we're learning a lot from it and hopefully we'll be able to keep putting it into practice. Sure, Brittany, thank you so much. That was a, also a really positive note for us to finish on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. And um, I'll be sure to list um, plenty of your recommendations in the episode notes and um, really look forward to seeing you at some point soon as well i know we're we're allowed outside again <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah <laughs> amazing well i hope you have a nice day it's um i think the sun just tried to come out of a class so <laughs> might see about using that bicycle yeah yeah enjoy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <That's> good. <laughs> awesome thanks, thanks so much bye bye